But again, we just want to honor our mothers this morning as we preach this message here about moms on a mission. And if you're a male, don't tune out on me. I promise this will be good for you as well. But you know, it's uh, Andrea has been a mom now for, for about six months. We're coming up on six months, and it's amazing to see her get to be a mother. And I know all y'all moms out there, listen, I, like I said, I get to watch moms everywhere I go because so many people have babies around here. And like I said, we just keep having them. And it's an amazing thing. But one thing that I've learned about moms is that they really do have superpowers that they Dads just don't necessarily have. Amen. Right? There's just a lot of things that I can't do that a mom can do. Moms have an ability that dads just don't quite have. But let me give you a tip for you fathers here right out of the beginning. We, uh, we, we had small group this week, and our small group is led by Trey and Shelly. They're probably two of the greatest small group leaders of all time, by the way. They cook breakfast for us and everything. If you want to come Tuesday night, let me know. You're invited. Um, but we got to talking and some of the moms were there and, it, and, and I don't know if like all the moms get together on this and they discuss it or whatever. I don't know if they plan it, but all it was, a, it was a overwhelming consensus. All the moms want the same thing. You know what that is? It's for the men to clean stuff without having being asked to do so. Somebody, is that right, moms? Is that what you want? Because it ain't enough that you ask to clean and do it. Like, I'm looking for you to tell me. I tell Andre all the time, you need to tell me. You need to coach me how to clean it, when to clean it, what to clean, right? But she don't want that. She wants me to know, and she wants me to do it. So, men, today, go out, find something to clean in the house, and do it without being asked, and you will bless your mom. Amen. That's, hey, right there. All right, we'll see y'all next Sunday. That right there, hey, that'll change lives. But you know, here's what I know. I know that uh, most of us are here because of our mothers. And some of us, you know, maybe that's not the case. I know for, for myself, I had a really good mom. And, and she prayed for me when I was an absolute heathen. I had three different moms praying for me when I was half, when I was buck wild, you know. And, and, and there was probably, it seemed like maybe there was no hope for me. But because they continued to pray, I had moms like in my apartment, you know, when there was liquor and dope laying all around. There was anointing the walls in there and stuff like that, just going crazy. Somebody put anointing oil in my shoes back then. And, but in, during that season, right, the Lord started doing something in my life because I believe in, in the power of a praying mother. Amen. I believe that moms, there's something in their heart where they have a burden in their heart for their children and that they can touch God because they have such a deep passion in their heart for their children. But I spent some time meditating on moms this week, right, because I knew it was Mother's Day. And I really, honestly, I wanted to preach about casting out demons or something here on Mother's Day. But, but I said, you know what, Clay, you just need to take a risk. Let's talk about moms. And so I dug in the Bible, and I found two mothers specifically and one grandmother that I think we can draw some encouragement from, we can draw some lessons from in the Scripture. And, and, and we're going to get into that. The first one's Mary. There's another one named Eunice. Amen? I don't know if you know about Eunice or not, but we're going to get into this. And here's the thing. I can, I can imagine that being a mom is tough, right? Especially if you're getting ready, if you're getting ready to have a child, you know, women are thinking, man, how big am I going to get? Is this going to hurt really bad? Like, they're thinking, what's the responsibilities going to be like? There's a lot of difficulties that come into play in motherhood, and everybody's thinking this. You know, I'm not, very, I'm not very wise, but I told Caitlin, I said, now, when you're pregnant, I said, if you ever actually reach my weight and go above it, we're going to announce it before the church and celebrate it. <laughs> and nobody laughed at that. They're like, that's, that's rude, Clay. Don't do that. <laughs> good thing me and Caitlin got a good relationship. It went over well, but... Man, children is hard. Raising kids is hard. In our small group, when we were talking about this on Sunday, one of the things that all the women kept saying is they kept saying to one another, hey, parenting is hard. Parenting, anybody agree with that? 
Like, I've been a parent just for six months. I can't imagine when they start talking and running around and wanting to get drunk. You know what I'm saying? Like, all that stuff mixed in. I can't imagine what you're dealing with when you're having all those things going on. But being a parent is hard. Here's my first point right out of the gate before I even get into it when we're talking about Mary. But if you look at at the, the lessons that Mary teaches us, one of the first lessons that she teaches us is that raising kids is hard, but we entrust them to God. It's a difficult task. What you've been called to as a parent, as a leader, as a disciple maker in your home is not an easy thing. It is a very difficult and a challenging thing. And oftentimes you feel like you're failing. Oftentimes you're so sleep deprived. You don't know how you're going to wake up and do it the next day. You don't know what's going on. And I see that difficulty in so many men and women here in the church where they're challenged, where they face obstacles, where there are hard times, where they have doubts, where they wonder, where they question their ability. But at the end of the day, what I see is that we have mothers and we have fathers that are on a mission and they're saying, I'm going to be devoted to it. And you know what? This is hard, but I'm entrusting my children to God. And ultimately, I know that he is able to do what he needs to do in my kids to work things together for his will and his purpose. In Luke chapter one, verse 30 and 31, the angel comes to Mary and she's getting ready to conceive baby Jesus, the Messiah of the world. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now, I believe right now, I want to speak to this church because the Lord put something on my heart. And I believe that right now our church has found a measure of favor with God. We see, I'll be honest with you, I've never been in a church like this. I've never been in a church that is growing literally because of the young people and the children that are coming through the young families that we have. I've never been a part of that. Every church I've been a part of, usually an older church, uh, and that's fine, that's good. But God has given us a favor for this season. And it is important that we as a church, we as a body of believers, discern the season that God has given us. And I've said this over and over again, but I, I believe that the Lord has spoken to me personally about the fact that, Clay, what I've called you to do, And what I've called this church right here to be is ultimately for the next generation. What we're doing is not for me and it's not for us alone. It's not for what we can do in the next five years or ten years. It's the fact that God has given us young people. He's given us children that we can raise up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And whatever we do for the glory of God, ultimately they're going to do it ten times more than what we did. And it's because we were faithful. It's because we stewarded the gift that God gave us in our children. And we realized that we are the disciple makers of them. We're making little disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's more important than them playing baseball or softball or anything else in the world. Thank God for the gifts that he gives our children. But nothing is more important than them becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. Somebody said, you know what? There's just nothing to do for kids in Clay County. I said, au contraire. Wednesday nights, if you've got a teenager, send them here. I'm willing to spend $50,000 on them if you'll send them here. I promise you. But the problem is, is that parents, don't, they want it their way a lot of times. Amen. If we would say, you know what, there's all kinds of stuff for my kid to do. You know why? Because Jesus Christ invades every area no matter what is lacking. There is enough for every single human being to do because at the end of the day, it's not important whether or not you have all of the amenities that this world offers. What's important is if you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your home. There's so many things that we think in our uh, modern Americanized culture that we have to have. And really, you're talking about distractions, man. We got a million distractions that are pulling people in a million different directions. And what they are forgetting is that ultimately our kids don't need another ball game. Our kids don't need more amenities. Our kids don't need more programs. Our kids need Jesus. Our kids need the Word of God. 
And see, we've got mothers, I believe. We've got fathers. We've got parents that are realizing that. And you've got to begin to think multi-generationally. You've got to begin to think, what, not, not just what is God doing in me now, but what is God going to do in my child? What is God going to do when my child turns 18, when my child turns 25, when my child is 30, what are they going to be? I want Naomi to, to, to raise up and, and say, you know what, I had a dad that loved God. I had a dad that he preached on Sundays, he was weak, he failed a lot of times, but he always asked for forgiveness and ultimately he showed me Jesus. I want her to be able to say that. I want her to get up and be able to proclaim the gospel when she turns 18, when she turns 30. And that's the direction that we have to think as parents. But see, it's difficult, it's a hard thing to do. But we have to think about this. And it gets difficult because even in Mary's, if you remember Mary's story, right? She was an unwed mother about to have a child. And for her, that would have meant ridicule. That would have meant rejection. That would have meant abandonment. And ultimately, Joseph had the... He had, we talked about this last week, right? A couple of weeks ago. That according to the law, Mary could have been stoned to death. Because for all intents and purposes, who's going to believe a woman that shows up and says, Y'all, I'm pregnant. Yeah, who did it? God. Yeah, good luck doing that. Man, your boyfriend ain't going to believe you. You know what I'm saying? So she comes up, she says this to Joseph, and Joseph had to literally have a dream in order for an angel to convince him that what she was saying was the truth. But until that time, she is dealing with the fear of what is going to happen, and she, she, was, she was dealing with this. But see, she knew that God's plan was greater than her comfort. Whatever God calls us to, I want you to understand this, that God's plan for you and for your children, His plan is greater than your comfort. You may be going through some of the hardest times you've ever dealt with, but ultimately God has a plan that is greater than your own, own plan for your family. And the angel begins to tell Mary how this is going to happen, how she's going to have this child. And he, she says, the angel says, look, Mary, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to conceive. And that holy child in your womb is going to be Jesus, the Messiah of the world. And in Luke 1.38, Mary responds and said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, Mary didn't understand it all. She didn't understand how this was going to happen, why it was happening, why it was even happening to her. She was a young teenage girl at this point in life, but she, she didn't understand it, but she surrendered to her position and she said, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how you're going to make it work out, but ultimately I will trust you and I will trust your timing and I will trust your purpose in my life. Because when we start to live, man, and we have kids and all these things start to happen, man, there are a million anxieties that we face every day. I hear about it over and over again. And so many prayer requests that come are from mothers and fathers asking for prayer requests for their children. That's what I deal with so often. And rightfully so, because we need to be praying for our children, whether it be sickness, whether it be a hardship, whatever's going through, they're going on in their lives and whatever they're going through, we need to do that. But see, there's a point where we surrender and we say, Lord, I don't get it all, but let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to what you have spoken over me, over my children. I know we're going to go through hardships. I know there's going to be dark times. There's going to be times when I question. There's going to be times when my kid questions. But ultimately, God, we trust your word and we say, let it be to us according to your word. But even when you trust God's word, there's still going to be resistance. Because she trusted God's word, but get this. Herod comes out after baby Jesus trying to kill her baby boy. Do you know that the devil's going to try to kill your children? The devil is going to try to attack your children. The devil is going to try to stir them away in another direction. And, and he has, God has placed you in that place to protect your children. And if he has to, he'll give you a dream in the middle of the night. 
We need some mamas and some daddies that are going to pray in the middle of the night for their kids and wake up with a dream and know the step to take. Herod's coming to kill baby Jesus. Joseph is praying and an angel comes to Joseph in a dream and he says, you need to get out of here. You need to flee to Egypt. And they wake up in the morning. Mary gets on the donkey and they head out to Egypt and they flee and they live there for two years. And you remember after that two years, they come back and they live in Nazareth so that scripture would be fulfilled. But also I want you to understand Mary, she's the mother of God, right? Like that's always been crazy to me. I was raised Catholic. They, they, they hold Mary in high esteem. They, they say Mary, the mother of God is the language that they use. And that's insane to think about because when you take your kid, you know, to the park, for example, imagine Mary, she like takes her kid to the park, baby Jesus, you know, he goes over on the playground, he's kind of playing around and the other mom comes up and says, yeah, over there's, over there's little Tommy, he's learning his ABCs. And Mary's like, yeah, Jesus is learning his ABCs too, but uh, yeah, he created the universe. So, so there's that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know, like, is it would it be more difficult to mother our children or mother the Messiah? He's flawless. He's perfect. He's exposing your weaknesses probably as a mother all the time without without meaning to because he's so loving and so kind that you don't even know how to deal with it. But she she's in this place. And here's the thing. Even though Mary is venerated as the mother of God, she had some difficulties. Do you remember the time in Bible in Scripture when Mary and Joseph, they they, they go to the temple, they leave Jerusalem And the Bible says that they left baby Jesus back at the temple and forgot him. And while they're miles down the road, two days later, they're like, hey, where's Jesus at? How many of y'all ever left your kids somewhere? Yeah, I got one. Got two. Oh, praise the Lord. It happens, doesn't it? It happens. Like these things happen. But you know what? The good thing that I like about Mary is if you're going to leave your kids somewhere, at least leave them at the house of God, right? See, there, like I said, there are a lot of things that we could be doing with our children, but man, at least Mary was setting the example that if I'm going to leave my kids somewhere, I'm going to leave them doing and, uh, and studying and being consumed with the things of God. They go back to pick up Jesus. She shows up. She said, Jesus, you had us worried sick. What in the world's going on? Why would you do this to us? She's about to give baby God a whipping. And he says, hey, mom, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Man. Can't we pray that over our children? That, that our children would be consumed with the Father's house. I really despise the fact that sometimes we teach our children or we allow our children to believe that somehow church is this boring thing. We want to make it an exciting thing. I like when kids, you know, and I love it here because, because I get these testimonies all the time. It's like, you know, you know, the pastor here at City of Hope Church ain't that great. But man, the kids, the kids stuff, the kids, my kids love it. They want to keep coming back. We want children to love Jesus, to love church. And we as parents have to teach our children that, look, church is more fun. Church is more exciting. Church is more important than any other thing in our lives. Ultimately, as far as programming, God is the most important ultimately. But see, when we, when we are putting God first, we put fellowship with believers in the house of God and hearing God's word and worshiping God corporately as, an, as a primary thing in our lives. Amen. It's, it's, it's that important. So she's dealing with, with, with hardships. She messes up just like the rest of us. But here's what I want you to understand is that even with Jesus, she's wondering where he's at. She shows up. She hears him say that to her. It's a proud moment in that moment. And she begins to think on those things. But you've got to know that we must let God work even when we don't know what he's doing. I want to give you a promise that I love. Isaiah 54, 13, it says that all your children shall be taught by the Lord 
and great shall be the peace of your children. Now this is a new covenant promise for us because Isaiah 53 points to the cross. Isaiah 54 points to the benefits of the cross. One of the benefits of the cross is that in the covenant that you have with Christ Jesus is that all of your children shall be taught not about the Lord. It's not that we're just teaching about because we do. We take our kids up here. We teach them about the Lord. But what we believe is that when they go home and you mess up and you're failing and they fail and they fall short and you don't know how to cover them up, guess what? The Lord himself is teaching your children. Man, that's one of the best promises that I can imagine. That when I fail to teach my children and your children what I should teach them, the Lord will take my place and he will teach my children for me and alongside of me. And because of that, great shall be the peace of my children. They won't be worried. They won't be anxious. They won't be fearful. But they'll deal with this peace in their life and have that peace. Luke 2.51, it says, Then they went down to Nazareth after they picked Jesus up again. And he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Two times it says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. And here's what I need you to understand. That Mary pondered about all of these prophecies about Jesus for year after year after year. And when the time came, you remember Jesus' first miracle? He was at a wedding and they ran out of wine. Mary shows up and says, hey boys, whatever he does, whatever he says, y'all do it. And walks out. And Jesus says, woman, it ain't my time. But because of her faith, she actually moved her son to perform a miracle before it was even his time. My point being is this, that she had so treasured up the promise of God in her heart concerning her child that her faith moved him to do things that he would not have done otherwise. What I'm saying is, is that if you can get the word of God in your heart, the promise of God in your heart about your child, and God is speaking something about your child, he will give you prophetic insight to what God has, the plans that he has for you your child's life. And when you get that insight, you need to treasure that in your heart. You need to meditate on it. You need to let the Word of God get rooted in your heart and you need to speak that life over your children. And as you do that, you are going to cause your children to develop and do things that otherwise they would not have done. Somebody amen me on that. That is good. And we have to make sure that God is moving in our hearts. Here's one last thing. That Mary teaches us. And this is about suffering. Because sadly, sometimes when we have kids, we're going to have to see them suffer. And that's what Mary teaches us, isn't it? This is difficult. And a lot of times when we deal with suffering, suffering can do one of two things. And you see it happen a lot. People will go through suffering and it will drive them away from God. A lot of people will go through suffering and it will drive them to God. How we respond to suffering is ultimately a big part of how our relationship with God develops. Mary knew prophetically that she said, look, you're going to, there's going to be a sword that pierces your own soul. She watched her son be beaten and whipped, and she watched her son go to the cross and die and bleed for the sins of the world. But see, here's what I want you to understand, that as a parent, anytime you see suffering, you need to know that in Christ there is resurrection life on the other side. When your child goes through suffering, God is able to make that suffering build character in your child, build character in you. And even if we are faced with what Mary is faced with, God forbid, even if we are faced with death, we have the promise that she had that Jesus sealed when she saw Him after He was raised from the dead. That every single one of us in Christ, we have eternal life. 
So we're going to experience suffering in this world and every single one of us, we're going to taste death at some time or another. But what Jesus has done for us as parents is to say, you know what? It's going to be hard. We have the fear of sickness. We have the fear of death. We have all of these things. But ultimately, they do not trump the faith that we have in Christ because he has been raised from the dead. Amen. And so we, but when we do that, we can say, God, we know that you're good. Raising kids is hard. There's a million fears out here that could come against our kids. But you know what? We are going to entrust our kids to you. And that gives us peace. Amen. Secondly, here's what Mary teaches us. She teaches us that we need spirit-filled friends to encourage us. Because things get difficult. And what I see all the time, like in, my, like in my small group, I got a bunch of women, I can say, hey, and I'll just call one of them out and I'll say, hey, won't you close us in prayer? And some of them women will pray the fire down. And those women, they're filled with the Spirit. Like they'll say, you know what, I just really feel like the Lord's wanting me to share this. And they will begin to proclaim God's Word over one another. I watch this happen. And I'm thinking, man, that's, that's, what, that's, that's why the, the body of Christ is so important, y'all. That we need, we need spirit-filled friends to encourage us. Mary is pregnant now. Joseph is wondering whether or not he's going to kill her or what he's going to do, how he's going to put her away privately. He's trying to figure out how to handle the whole mess. And, and, and Mary goes over to see one of her cousins, Elizabeth, in Luke 1, 41 and 45. It says, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb. She's pregnant at the time with uh, baby John. And here's what's interesting about baby John. It says that baby John was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. Now, I have a biblical precedent for it, which means that if I were you and I were currently pregnant, I would be praying for my baby to be filled with the Holy Spirit in my womb. Amen. Somebody amen me, right? That's what I would be praying for. I got a biblical precedent for it. It says, so the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, notice what it says, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice, because oftentimes when people get filled with the Holy Spirit, they're ready to speak out with a loud voice and proclaim God's Word. And she said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She has an awareness that that is the Lord in Mary's womb. And she said, for indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Baby John in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy when he hears Mary's voice over in the other room when she coming in. And the reason I believe that that baby leaped for joy is because he realized that his purpose had just entered the room. His entire life was to point to Jesus. That's what he knew. He understood it even from a little baby. And I'm telling you, we have got to raise up children who understand that their purpose is not to be a major league baseball player. If they do, praise God for it. You know what I'm saying? But even if they become that, it's still not their purpose. Their purpose is to point to Jesus Christ with their entire lives. And John understood that because he was filled with the Spirit from a young age. When Ivory and and, and Florence prayed this morning to the Lord, I prayed, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Because I want our kids to be so filled with the Spirit of God that they are a reflection of God in their own lives. And so they were aware of this. And we've got to raise children that realize this is ultimately their purpose. And see, Elizabeth's encouragement in that moment sustained Mary and kept her focus on God's promise. Because can you imagine? She's wondering if Joseph is even going to keep her. She thinks she's going to go home and they may kick her out. They may do anything. She may be alone for the rest of her life. But when she comes in, she's got a spirit-filled friend and a woman around her that says, you know what? Let me encourage you. Let me pick you up. Let me strengthen you. And let me tell you something. We've got mothers right here in this church that are that same thing. Y'all are spirit-filled women. 
And y'all know when to pick each other up and you hear God's word and you know God's word so that you can speak it out. What you do not want to be is a nagging, obnoxious, negative woman. Somebody amen me this morning. (laughs) You don't want to be that. That ain't helping nobody. You see somebody down, you see another mother down, you come and you pick them up. You give them God's word. You don't give them negativity. You don't give them that stuff. But we have women, we have people that are going through difficult things and we need spirit-filled friends to encourage us. Amen. So let me move on past Mary. I got another mama. But her, this mama had a son, and his name was Timothy, okay? And Timothy, he's written about a lot in Scripture. Matter of fact, there are seven books that mention Timothy in the New Testament. There are two books that were written to Timothy, two letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And then there was another letter that was written to Timothy's church, which was the church in Ephesus. Timothy pastored the church in Ephesus. And he's mentioned throughout Scripture because Paul loved Timothy, and, and, and Paul was a, a spiritual father to Timothy. But you've got to understand that when Paul met Timothy, probably about the age of 17, he was astounded by Timothy. He was like, man, this young man right here, he's got potential. This dude right here, he knows the Lord. And Paul probably would have been, he would have been probably, he, he would have thought, you know what? This guy right here, I bet he's got a good daddy. Don't y'all ever think that? Like sometimes whenever you look at a kid, you're like, man, that, that, that boy right there, he's probably got a good daddy. His daddy must be a real disciple maker. He must, he must really teach the word of God to this son because this boy's 17 years old and he's just sitting here quoting scripture. He loves the Lord. He's out preaching uh, the good things of God to people. But do you know that the Bible teaches us that Timothy's dad was actually a Greek and most scholars believe that he wasn't involved in his life. But see, Timothy became a man of God that ultimately Paul would entrust his entire ministry to Not because of his dad, not because of his father, but because of two godly women who made him a God-fearing man. This is what the scripture says in 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 5. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. And he goes on to say, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Notice verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Now, if we read in these scriptures, I'm going to point out two things. But... Timothy's mom and grandmother, they had two practices that I can pull from Scripture that we need to take note of. And number three in your notes, what they, what they practice is, is that they lived out their faith before their kids. They teach us that we are to live out our faith before our kids. They say, well, everybody does that, Clay. I mean, look, we brought them to church this morning. No, it's a little bit deeper than that. Paul's in prison. He's thinking about Timothy. He's writing to him. And he says, I'm reminded of the faith that you have that is sincere and genuine. He says, but it was first in your mother Eunice, and in your grandmother Lois. And he uses a very specific term here. Now, when he says genuine faith, he's not talking about Timothy's ability to understand theology. Amen. And even though I, like, I love theology, I went and I got me a master's degree in divinity. I know all about it. I studied Calvinism, Arminianism, Soteriology, Superlapsarianism. But you know what? If I know all of that stuff and I can get up here and preach that stuff and confuse the heck out of you, but I don't love my wife, my faith ain't no good. And it's not faith at all. If you know the scriptures, but all you can do is use them to debate because you have a lot of head knowledge, that's not genuine faith. 
And so he's talking to Timothy and he's not saying, you know what, I was really impressed with Timothy's understanding of the doctrine. It wasn't just that he knew the doctrine, it was that he lived the doctrine. He lived it. He didn't just know about love, he truly loved people. And Paul saw that in his heart and he said, man, I see in your life a genuine faith, but I understand that it came because your mother had a genuine faith and your grandmother had a genuine faith. And now I'm seeing that before you in your very own life. And now Paul could have used a million different words and it had them at his disposal, but he used very one particular word when he said genuine faith. The word genuine, the word sincere right there, okay, in, in the Greek language is anu, anuko, let me Let me read it because it's, it's a, anupokritos, right? And it comes from the word, it's the, literally the word hypocrite with a negative compound on, on the beginning. So he's saying it's an unhypocritical faith. That's the word that he uses. He could have used anything, but he's saying you, you're not a pretender. You're not a phony. You're not putting something on. But, when, but what you say and what you preach and what you teach is ultimately real, and I see it in your life. Because, see, one of the most dangerous things that I see in our world today, and what is the worst thing that children could experience, is that in the house, like their parents take them to church, and they go to church, but then their parents act a completely different way through the week. They act one way at church, they smile at people, but then they go and their language is different at home. Their attitude, their behavior is different at home. And what, what children do, and a lot of times the reason children fall away from the faith is because they don't believe it's real because ultimately God has designed it so that a good majority of what we receive and the character that we receive is from our parents. But if they see hypocritical behavior where mommy and daddy is one way at home but they're another way at the church, then what they say is that's not real. It's not genuine. It's not sincere. And I know that's heavy, but you have a responsibility as a parent to carry that with you, to not have a hypocritical faith, but to have a genuine faith. And here's what I, here's what I think, because you know what, T Timothy, he was set up. He had a good mom. He had a good grandmother that raised him, that led him into this faith, and, and he saw it. And I've heard so many people say, you know what, Clay, you've got good family. You've got family in the church. I just don't have that family. I didn't have a good mom. I didn't have a good dad, this and that, this and that. Here's what I want you to understand, and I've I, this is what the Lord wanted me to say to somebody this morning. Just because you didn't have it doesn't mean that your children won't have it. It stops and it starts with you. Just because your parents were not good godly people does not mean that you cannot be a good godly person. You can break the curse and the cycle right now in your life and you can say, you know what, I'm not raising my children to not know God, to not love God, to not appreciate the Word of God, to not know what it means to worship God. I'm making a change today and I'm going to lead my child so that the generations after my family, there's a change. Like when they go and they do Ancestry.com, they see everybody half crazy to this point. And then past that, they see men and women of God who raised up disciples and changed the world and loved people and had a good name because you said, I'm not going to take it no more. I'm living for God. You can change it. Jesus Christ breaks the curse. He changes things. You can have a genuine faith. He says this dwelt first in your mama and your grandmama, in Eunice 
and in Lois. He said it was dwelling in them. What he meant was, he says, this faith was not something that they put off and they put on or they switched off and switched on like a light. He said it was an abiding faith. That means if you went into their home, you felt Jesus. If you saw them at the workplace, they weren't negative, they were positive. They were speaking the things of Jesus. It, abi- it, it was abiding with them. It dwelt with them. It lived with them. So much so that Timothy got to the point where he, it, it was just with him. It was on him. I was talking with Justin this morning, and this is a big question because parents ask me a lot, well, when's a good time to lead my child to faith in Christ? And you know that a lot of people, a lot of parents adopt this philosophy. We get so stuck on like getting saved, being around an altar, and being convicted and like gripping the seat and coming forward that we'll say, we're not going to talk to our kids about Jesus because we're going to wait till they get to church and they have that moment for themselves because it may not be real if I teach it to them. I had, a, I had a professor that I spoke with one time about this because we were talking about the discipleship of children. And he told me this and it stuck with me. He said, you know what, Clay? He said, I cannot tell you the day that I got saved. He said, because I never remember a moment where I did not know Jesus. And he said, the reason I never remember a moment where I did not know Jesus is because my mother taught me about him every day. He didn't, he, didn't have a, he didn't have a testimony. Well, I went to the church at 14 years old and uh, it was a revival. Uh, and, and, and I got convicted in my heart and I went to... He didn't have that. His testimony was, my mama raised me so well that I don't remember ever not knowing Jesus. I want our kids... Whether they have, look, our kids are going to have encounters with God. They can be saved right now. They can pray. They can be saved. They can have faith because a child's faith is as strong and sometimes stronger than your faith. The point is, is that when they pray and they confess Jesus is Lord, you never stop teaching them that Jesus is Lord. You never stop reminding them of the blood that saved their soul. You never stop reminding them of their need for forgiveness and the, and the power of confession and proclaiming Him as Lord so that every single time they're faced with another obstacle, they come back to their Lord and Savior and they're like, well, I don't know when it happened. All I know is I know the Lord. Can we pray that over our children? That man, They don't know when it happened. Now, they're going to have more encounters. They're going to have more experiences. And we should pray. We should pray that our kids over there in kids' church, man, that they encounter God. That when we go home, that we pray with our kids, that the Holy Spirit floods their bedroom. That they have experiences, they have encounters with God, and that, that faith abides in them, and it lives with them. But see, I would say that the number one jo- job of a mother or a father for that, for that po- point is, is, is to be an image bearer of Christ. Ultimately, you're a fr- reflection of Christ. Now, about three months ago, I quoted this uh, from a book by Paul David Tripp, but I'm sure... Nobody remembers it, and plus repetition is the mother of study. No pun intended, right? But here's what he says. He says, the authority that you have as a parent is ambassadorial authority. This means that every time you exercise authority in the lives of your children, you are the look of God's face, you are the touch of His hand, and you are the tone of His voice. You must never exercise authority in an angry, impatient way, You must never exercise authority in an abusive way. You must never exercise authority in a selfish way. Why? Because you have been put into your position as a parent to display before your children how beautiful, wise, patient, guiding, protective, rescuing, and forgiving God's authority is. Now, I read that again because, see that right there? Did it hit? (laughs) Yes. 
Right? And you read that, and I read it again because it has power in it. There's something about that. When you start to recognize that you are an ambassador for God to show the love of the Father. And not only that, you know, you talk about God being... There, there are attributes of God that really only a mother can fully reveal. You realize that? God is a nurturing God. There are places in Scripture, even though we call Him Father and you have that, that male gender connotation, there are many verses in Scripture that appeal to God as a mothering, nurturing God. Right? That he mothers his children. And so what you see in, in, in women is an aspect and a, and, a, and a character of God that you, could, you cannot see in men. And so ultimately, we are this reflection of God. And you say, well, man, that's hard, Clay. You, you're going to tell me all that? You ain't even been a parent six months. I'm just trying to preach scripture. I mean, Paul wasn't a parent either, right? He calling people out all the time. Here's what I want you to understand. Is that we're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. It's not about being perfect. None of us are. But even whenever we ask our kids for forgiveness, even when we apologize, what we're preaching to them is the gospel that ultimately we're all broken. Ultimately, we all need Jesus. And when I mess up and when you mess up, what we can do is we can ask for forgiveness. We can be restored. We can admit that we're weak and we can allow God to enter into those situations. But see, in order for you to publicly display the characteristics of God, you have to be walking privately with God. Somebody amen me on that. There's no way that your parents or, or your children or anybody else is going to see their image of God in you fully unless you have a private walk with God. Number four, my last point, is that we teach, we teach the Word of God to our kids. And that's what... That's what Eunice, and that's what Lois did with Timothy. He said, well, how do you know that, Clay? Well, because in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, it says, but as for you, he's talking to Timothy, Paul's talking to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. In Christ Jesus. Now I want you to get this. The centerpiece of the discipleship in their home was the Bible. Amen. The centerpiece of the discipleship in their home, in Timothy's home as a child, was the Bible. But I want you to understand something. Their Bible is not the same Bible that you and I have. They did not have a goat skin leather ESV sitting on the table. They did not yet make Bibles like that. They had not fully written them yet. I don't know if you understand that or realize that. The way that they learned the Scripture was through communal reading when they would gather together and a dude would stand up and pull out parchment and begin to read the Scripture aloud. And those women and those men, they would listen to the Word of God and they would memorize it. The Bible was not on their mantle. The Bible was in their hearts. They took it home with them and they taught it and they read it. They would write it on things and put it on their walls, the Scripture says. Because here's what I want you to understand. I was reading something this morning. Jeremy actually shared it with me. And he was, he was saying in, in, in Proverbs 1.8, it says that children are not to forsake the teaching of their mothers. Right? And the commentary in this particular Bible said this, and it's, and, it's ac and it's completely accurate, is that Jewish women, they had such a faith that they believed that first and foremost, their relationship with God was first and foremost. But secondarily, the very next thing was their responsibility to disciple their children and teach their children the Word of God. 
It was their responsibility that their children knew the Word of God when they grew up. So they would tell them Bible stories. They would quote Scripture to them. They would talk to them about all of these things. And that was in their heart. See, and there's two phrases in this particular, uh, these particular verses that I read. And one of the phrases is they have learned. He said, he said, continue in what you have learned from your parents, from your mother, from your grandmother. And see, have learned is a phrase that talks about something that you learned back in the day, but it's now playing out in your life. In other words, he's saying, listen, Timothy, when you were a boy, you remember how your mama, she kept teaching you the word of God. He's saying, you remember how you continued in that. What she's saying is what a parent teaches in their life, in the lives of their children when they're kids is going to play out and, be, and you're going to see a harvest when they're older. See, Eunice put something in her boy's heart that she didn't see a harvest in until he was in his teenage years, until he was a 20-year-old, until he was a 30-year-old. And see, sometimes you're going to teach your kids the Word of God and they may rip a page out of the Bible. Throw it. I don't know, the kids are crazy. <laughs> Ain't they? Right? They put flowers out there a while ago. I said, I said y'all better not leave them there too long. A kid will destroy those. <laughs> right? You got kids running around here throwing goldfish all over the place. Glitter all in the seats. I said, boys, we got to outlaw glitter in this place. I'll be in here cleaning one day. I get glitter in my eye. Be like, oh. The kids are wild. But that doesn't mean we don't teach them the word of God. And that doesn't mean we get discouraged when they are wild. Because there is seed getting planted in their heart. And what they learn when they're young is going to, bear, is going to bring about a harvest when they're older. And see, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, these are parents, the, Eunice and Lois, that said, you know what? We're just going to believe that verse. We're going to train young Timothy up in the way that he should go, and we believe that when he's old, he's not going to depart from it. He's going to be something in his heart. And even if your child gets wayward and gets half crazy for a little while, listen, there is a power in their hearts because of what you've sown that God will draw them back to the truth. I believe that with all of my heart. We have to come to a place. I mean, here's the thing. As parents, we talk about this all the time. But I, I know I know, as a pastor, and I don't want to say this in a condemning or mean way whatsoever, but you cannot grow without your own personal study of Scripture. Right, that's a good pastoral point this morning. That's almost as good as the first one I gave you about cleaning stuff in your house. Probably a little bit better. You cannot grow without your own study of Scripture and your own prayer life. But see, you've got to hold yourself accountable to that. But then what's so wrong with now holding your children accountable for the same thing? And saying, you know what, Scripture's important. I talk to Richard all the time. Me and him have been buddies since we were little fellas, right? But he's got this Bible, and he wears it out. Like Sometimes Richard will quote me verses, and I'll be like, dude, I don't even know if that's in the Bible. He's like, no, that, that's out of the children's storybook Bible. <laughs> I'm like, well, it sounds awesome. Matter of fact, we preached a sermon one here one time, and I, and I read a verse from it, you know, because it said it so well. But put, put that video up there right quick, Rich, if you can. Give me some volume on it. Bible. See, they wear that Bible out right there, though. And, she, and Judy would be like, Bible? Bible? I had some other videos of kids, but I, it was flipping them sideways. We had some technical difficulties this morning. The devil got in the system. We'll cast him out after y'all leave today. Um, but the point being is that Richard understands one of these verses right here because it's very interesting. It's very interesting that it says, From infancy you have known the Scriptures. 
And this word, now if you put that verse back up there for me, Rich, if you can, uh, not 22, but, but back where it says in, in, in 2 Timothy uh, 3.15. It says, from infancy you have known the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures. That word there in the Greek language is not a child, it's not an adolescent. It is literally brephos, and it's used specifically. It's an unborn or a newborn child. What he is saying is that when Timothy was in the womb, his mama was reading Scripture to him. Think about that for a minute. You say, well, that, Clay, their brain hasn't developed. It's not scientific. The Word of God has power, friends. Your baby's in the womb. The science actually teaches that what happens to a child in the womb will affect them for life. Right? It does. It, it does something to them. They're being developed while they're in the womb. And the Word of God, the music you play, what's going on in the background, whether you're angry, whether your husband's cussing you out or not, it affects your child. When it's in the womb, it's science. And what he's saying is that you can speak the Word of God to your baby in the womb and it will take root in their heart and in their life. He knew the Scriptures from the time he was an infant. From the time he was a little baby. And he grew up and it was intentional. Having known this is not just a flippant, casual learning of the Scripture, but it's an intimate learning of the Scripture. Now here's the last verses that I want to read. Acts, Acts 16. It says, Paul then came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So Paul comes into Lystra and Iconium. He comes into these places and, and he meets Timothy there. But here's what it says about it whenever Paul meets Timothy. Paul does not refer to Timothy as one of his disciples. He said when he got there, he was already a disciple. When he met Timothy at a young age, it wasn't like, oh man, I'm going to have to take this dude and build him up from scratch. No, he was already a disciple. I remember when I met Justin Bray for the first time. I started talking about him and he, he was coming on as our worship pastor. And I'm thinking about this. You know what? I didn't really have to do a whole lot of discipling with Justin. You know why? His mama and his daddy had already done it. It was already there. I said, man, this dude's already a disciple. He's not one of mine. I don't have to train him much. Matter of fact, I'm gleaning things from him. Why? Because his mom and his dad already laid a foundation. Man, we want to raise kids that even when we're out of the way, when we send them off to high school, when we send them off to college, and a pastor comes into their life or somebody comes into their life, when they see them, they're saying, wow, we can go forever with this person right here because they already have a foundation laid, and it was their mama, their daddy that put it in them. Man, we need that really bad in this generation because let me tell you something there is craziness happening out in our world people are teaching insanity out in our world and the only way your kids are not going to be consumed and overwhelmed with the lies that are out here in this culture in our day is if you teach them the truth of God's word and you've got to ask yourself is my faith genuine is this real am I living out my faith before my children Am I teaching my family the Word of God? Is this something that we're standing on? Is this something that we're believing in? And for many of you say, well, I've never done that before. And here's the thing. Here's what it's easy to do. Because you can look at Mary, and you can look at Eunice, and you can look at Lois. You can look at some of these different women around you. And if you get on Instagram, you're going to play that comparison game, aren't you? Be like, well, I've never even read a scripture to my kid. I've never done nothing. These women over here, and you get all tore up because you compare yourself to another mama. But here's what I want you to understand. You're doing good. All of us could use some improvement, but don't get caught in that comparison game and saying, well, they're doing that and they're doing this and I'm just not worth a dime. No, you're a good mom. 
you're doing good. You just need to be encouraged. You need to get some spirit-filled friends around you that are going to encourage you and say, hey, you can do this. You can get in the Bible. You can teach your children. We can pray and we can change things in the world around us and in this generation around us. One of the things that I love about Jessica, I always call Jessica over here, I call her Super Mom. Mega Mom is her nickname, right? Because you go to her house. One time I took a bag of chips there, and before I left, she resealed an open bag of chips. Is that not amazing? I don't know if y'all seen that before. Like, I was like, what kind of other tricks you got in here, woman? Meanwhile, she's cooking like a full course meal. Kids are running all over the place, kicking stuff over, you know, and she's handling them with just ease and delight. I'm thinking, man, she's mega mom. But here's what I like about her is she doesn't just share her highlights. She'll share some wild stuff, too. I had some videos for y'all, but I couldn't get them turned the right direction because they were taking on an iPhone. But, you know, I mean, you got pictures of Ivory, man, when she get in paint and just be covered in a whole paint while they're painting, paint everywhere. One day, one day she wiped a booger on Florence. <laughs> Jess is over there. She calls Ivory in. She said, Ivory, come and get your booger off of your sister. That's good parenting. Come and get your booger. <laughs> My point being is, man, we're all in this thing together. There ain't none of us perfect. We all struggle. Even in our personal relationship with God, man, we all struggle. I struggle as a pastor. There are times I feel down. There are times I'm like, boys, I can't make it. I talk to Andrea sometimes. I'm like, boys, I don't even know if I need to be pastoring. Like, my attitude right now is sour. <laughs> but I go back to the Lord. I say, Lord, help me. I get back in the Word. And we're saying, we're going to push forward with this thing. We're going to raise godly children. We're going to disciple people. We're going to put Jesus first. We're going to live out of genuine faith. We're going to surround ourselves with spirit-filled friends so that when we get down, we can call them up on the phone and they can encourage us. We're going to live this life. We're going to teach the Word of God to our children. But that's the thing that you got to ask yourself right now. Is my faith sincere? Is it genuine? Is my walk with the Lord right now where it should be? Because we've got generations to come riding on whether or not it is. And I don't want to pass on and go on 30 years down the road and die and my life in. And they say, you know what? He got up and preached some, but really it, it wasn't real. I don't, want, I don't want anybody to be able to say that. I want my kids to be able to say, man, he was as real in the home as he was behind the pulpit. He had struggles. He had doubts. He had worries. But he taught us the word. He loved us. And ultimately he showed us Jesus. You want to pray that this morning with me? Let's pray for our mothers, pray for our kids. Let's bow our heads. Lord, right now we pray. We pray for ourselves, God, because we need you so desperately. I want you to just open your hands to the Lord right there because he's going to give you what you ask for. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. And so right here in this moment, I want you to ask Him for what you need. Some of you, you just need wisdom on how to handle situations with your kids. Some of you, you need a restored relationship with God. And you're just asking right now, Lord, I pray that this morning our relationship could be restored. I need to come back to you, God. I want a sincere faith. I don't want a hypocritical faith. I want it to be genuine. I want it to be sincere. And I'm asking you this morning, Lord, to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive me for where I failed. God, wash me clean once again from all of my sin. 
We trust in you this morning, Jesus. But we don't only pray for us, God, and that you would make us better parents and you would help us to make disciples of our children. But we claim the promise of your word right now over our children, over our children that are over in this building and even the children that aren't represented here today. Your word says that all of our children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of our children. So, Lord, whatever fear, whatever anxiety, if there be depression on our kids this morning, Lord, we just command that to go right now in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we're praying that peace would come upon our children. But more than anything, God, we are asking that you would teach our children to follow you all the days of their life. Lord, that you would convict them by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would draw them to a place of salvation, but that you would equip every mother and every father to be disciple makers in their homes, and that, Lord, you would invade our homes with your Holy Spirit. God, we submit, we surrender our families to you this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want y'all to stand to your feet. We're going to worship the Lord together. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be some people up here.